I was naturally exploring my passion for investment real estate. You know, with my background in residential real estate, I quickly jumped to multifamily, right? Because multifamily real estate, duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes fall under residential financing, right? So it's easy for someone with a residential background to kind of unpack all the nuances of purchasing these properties and helping other people purchase these properties so that they can build their wealth with residential financing, right? But it's where residential real estate meets commercial real estate because these properties are based on the value of these properties are based on what they can produce in income, not necessarily like right. what similar properties are selling for, mm -hmm. right? Treated more as a business. They're commoditized. Yeah. Exactly. So went down that path and, you know, my business today looks, you know, it's taking shape in a way that I didn't expect it to maybe a year ago, but, you know, now I'm representing commercial buyers. I have a uh, a client who signed a buy broker agreement doing a 1031 exchange. He's selling six condos to buy two multifamily properties. We're looking at one fourplex and one duplex. So nice. he's deferring like $600,000 worth of gains to buy $1.3 million worth of real estate. Wow. And he'll be at like 50% leverage, right? So, and I'm originating the mortgages for those too. Um, that's new since the last time we talked to That's also new since yeah. the last time we talked too. And the mortgage loan origination will definitely fall under like the residential part of my advisory business because I figured, you know, if I'm referring these clients to a lender and they can't communicate either as well or as fast or as accurately as I feel like I can, I'd rather take on that responsibility myself. And if they're open to it, I would be able to do both sides. Yeah. Right. And that might, that opportunity might not present itself every single time but I've already tested it with the market with my most recent clients and, and they're enjoying it. So as long as I can offer a competitive rate and terms on the loan product, there's no reason why they should shop anywhere else for that loan product. And even if they weren't open to it, you can still communicate the base amount of things and say, hey, well, I mean, if you want, I can find you someone if you need to, but it just helps you be a little bit more integrated all the way through. 100%. So yeah, lots of new things. Uh, dating this new girl, she's been Congrats super supportive. Congrats on that. Yeah. Um, we've been together for like four months now and she's also in real estate. Nice. So, you know, things are on the up and up, just really focused on taking this business to the next level and commercial real estate is definitely like that next step for me. Residential real estate, you know, originating the loans from my residential clients, that's low hanging fruit because I'm really good at negotiating in this, in this volatile market that we're in. Um, you know, that's where most of my experience is in, but commercial real estate, I hired a coach. Uh, to help me kind of understand like how to get this commercial real estate business. And he really helps like simplify the approach because before like hiring him and really exploring the commercial real estate market like I'm doing now, it kind of felt like a secret society of people who like do commercial real estate transactions. Mm -hmm. And feels very behind the curtain. Yeah, very behind the curtain, right? But after, you know, this coach, he's not even, he's based in Miami. Um, just like my new brokerages. I, I moved brokerages recently too. Nice. Um, you know, he really simplifies it. He's a CCIM too. So he comes from a really, you know, nice pedigree and commercial real estate background. His family was in development and stuff. So like he knows what he's talking about, but he really boils it down to, you know, something that really anyone can do. Right. So I'm prospecting in the mornings for listings for commercial real estate listings from 12 to one um, processing loans. And then one to five or six p.m. residential real estate going on appointments, you know, just kind of buttoning up my files to make sure that we're taking the, the appropriate steps forward. 
I like to talk about the importance of structuring your week like that and the benefits of it. That's something we talked about recently. Talk about the decision to structure it that way, where that came from and how that's benefited you. So outbound lead generation, no matter what industry you're in, you know, this applies in all sectors of the market, I think is best in the mornings because people are just more willing to engage in a conversation that maybe they didn't expect in the morning as opposed to the afternoon after they've had the most difficult conversations that they already expected to have in their day. But if you catch them between 8 to 10 a.m., right, they're probably more open-minded to a suggestion or to you providing some type of value than if you were to catch them at 5 p.m. before they're trying to make it home before dinner and, you know, meet with or their the partner. in the middle of other calls. In the middle of other calls. No one's ever expecting your phone call. You know, in most cases when you're outbound lead generation, right, calling strangers. So you, you definitely want to tell them who you are and the reason for your call immediately. But I think outbound lead generation in the morning, that's how I learned how to sell residential real estate. And now learning how to sell commercial real estate, they suggest the same, the very same thing. So, um, yeah, you want to catch them when they're fresh, 8 to 10 a.m. That's kind of like my outbound lead generation. And then maybe that 30 minutes to an hour after you're cleaning up those engagements that you had, right? Processing notes for the conversations that you had. Hopefully you set some appointments and then you go on to the next you know, time block, whatever that may be for you. And so that's primarily phone calls for you, the outbound? Yeah, right now, I mean, you know, I'm tomorrow actually, um, I haven't seen anyone in the commercial space shoot content for like breaking down, you know, NOI, capitalization rate, vacancy, stuff like that. So tomorrow I'm testing it with a new videographer to nice. see how it goes. And then we're also going to do like a residential real estate lifestyle uh, session as well. Um, but as far as like other ways to market, LinkedIn and Instagram have been like my other two. LinkedIn and Instagram, mm -hmm. like outbound messages? Um, not as much outbound messages. I do a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn. I did notice that, And yeah. it's been working been pretty great. well. We're on 16 weeks right now. Nice. Um, and I've booked probably like 11 meetings just from the newsletter. That is awesome. Um, I put I put my Calendly link like in the in the bottom of mm -hmm. the newsletter, and we'll go over like last yesterday was a 1031 exchanges right. Explain mm -hmm. what the concept of 1031 exchanges are because I'm in the process of representing a buyer who's doing one. So I figured, hey, this is a way that I can express something that's happening in my business mm -hmm. and hopefully educate someone else who might be sitting on a small half a million dollar portfolio and show them how they can get it to a million dollars tax deferred. Yeah. Right. So I explained that in a newsletter and. Um, it's been fun, you know, it's been fun and it's been uh, a form of self-expression for me and my business. I feel like I'm sharing with my audience like some of the pitfalls or challenges or victories that I've experienced in the last week. And when I hop on a call with, you know, that avatar, um, there's plenty for us to talk about other than just, you know, real estate, so. So you're shooting content for the first time, trying that tomorrow. Is that gonna be kind of loosely based off of the newsletter? like you could almost double dip in a way i could so it's actually for a specific property that i sent out to two investors today um it's a it looks like a 22 unit retail space on semeron listed for 2.4 million dollars and with four vacancies with four units vacant it's producing twenty two thousand dollars a month in income pretty sure that's gross income but still great right listed at 2.4 million dollars if you assume 50 percent expenses, right? You're at about $140,000 in annual income mm -hmm. at a $2.4 million valuation, right? That's probably like five, 6% cap, something like that. 
and I'm sure there's room on the price, but those are really good numbers, especially for an experienced investor who knows how to add value, raise rents, mm -hmm. and stabilize those units with higher quality tenants or businesses yeah. in this case. So that's what the video is going to be on uh, tomorrow, understanding nice. that the relationship between like buying an asset and stabilizing it, just because the numbers are a little bit bigger, it shouldn't intimidate someone who wants to learn about it or one day have a portfolio that looks like that. Where do you think people have the biggest successes in commercial real estate? That's a good question. Where do I think people have the biggest successes in commercial real estate? It's a very broad question. Yeah, it's a broad question. So like there's a difference between being an owner occupant, like you owning your car wash and being the guy who runs the car wash every day and mm -hmm. you know pretty much lives there and owning the car wash and not occupying the space, hiring a property manager or someone to run the space. So with that said, I think people who understand how to leverage themselves move on to the next project faster than those who would rather occupy the space and have their hands under the car and be the ones actually, you know, working with the consumers. I think people who experience the most success in commercial real estate know how to leverage themselves and delegate tasks quickly so that they're not in the business, they're working on the business, they're working on their portfolio. It's very similar to just people who have success with business versus not. Having met all of these people, what are what are the differences between those people that have the success and that don't? Like, what do you, where do you think the ability to do those things successfully comes from? Deciding quick. You know, a lot of these people aren't, aren't scared to make a mistake because they know that if they make a mistake, they can decide, they can make another decision quickly to fix it. So deciding quick, you know, they, they measure once and they cut once. They don't measure four times before they cut. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Making and then they make quickly. adjustments after the decision if they need to. 100%. But, you know, I think in the military they say, you know, the, the best thing you could do is make a decision. The worst thing you could do is make no decision, mm -hmm. right? So um, same thing applies in business, right? If, you, if you're presented with a, an opportunity or a challenge, just make a decision, move past it. If you made the wrong one, at least you can learn from it. So that way when it happens again you have more data, you know, more information to work for more experience. The most experienced entrepreneurs and business owners are the ones that just make a lot of micro decisions along the way and just learn from them, adjust from them and correct for them because they just get so much more of a body of experience from seeing the way those decisions play out. And business owners know other business owners, right? Of course, there's like a very human to human inter interaction or relationship there where, you know, they're just friends, but everyone pays attention too, right? Like if you own a, a restaurant and I own a cocktail room across the street, like, of course, we're going to look to see like what's working, what's not working, how late are you open, mm -hmm. what are your most popular hours, what are your most popular days, dishes, those sort of things. So like having a mentor or at least people around you that you can learn from will help you sharpen your business because now you're learning from other people's activities, not just your own mistakes or your own lessons that you're putting yourself through. I remember the last time we talked, you talked about having a business coach and how important that was to you. And it sounds like you found even another coach to supplement that sense. Could you talk a little bit about finding a coach, the, the reasons to do it, the way to do it, what to look for, how to know if you're finding a good coach? Yeah. So I'll answer that question in the form of like a sales conversation, right? Like anyone can learn sales. It's pretty straightforward. I wouldn't say it's like easy, but if you have some thick skin and you're okay with rejection, then a coach will show you, a sales coach will show you how to frame the conversation, right? Like you can have 
a normal conversation with this person, just make sure you hit these bullet points. Mm -hmm. Frame the conversation a certain way, build rapport, tie it to their motivation, and then close them, right? A business coach, he's going to make sure that the activities in your business are framed according to your goals, right? So that way when you go day to day, you know how to have these conversations with your clients, how often to meet with your strategic partners, you know, how much value to or, you know, how frequently you should be keeping in touch with your referral partners, things like that. Um, so the value of a business coach is to make sure that the activities that you have throughout your week are getting you closer to the goals that you shared with him when you hired him or, you know, as you progress throughout the year. And of course, the market changes, your goals may change, but, you know, the activities don't change too much. It's just how often you're doing them and who you're who you're engaging with um, that that really move the needle. Yeah. I want to selfishly a little bit talk about referral partnerships for a second. Yeah. It's something that's become a really integral part of my business. And I think it is in many cases for people who work with any kind of client. What's worked for you with referral partnerships? How do you make the approach the right way if you want to create a referral partnership? How do you identify a good opportunity for a referral partnership in your industry? What's worked for you? So in the commercial space, I'll speak I'll speak with that because it's the newest, mm -hmm. right? And that's where I've had to like create some referral partnerships. I am a part of a networking group where I'm the real estate guy. And instead of introducing myself or being the residential guy, I'm just, I'm the commercial real estate guy, right? So there's a lender in the group who does SBA financing, which is a small business administration, right? Yeah. Um, and she sent me two commercial real estate buyers already looking wow. for auto shops. Um, and then other real estate uh, industry professionals, like I have a lender who uh, she referred me to an agent who didn't have like the capacity to, to represent this guy looking for land. And it's pretty straightforward. It's land, right? Um, so as long as you're providing value and letting them know that, Hey, I'm, I'm able to service this type of clientele. Um, this is what like I specialize in, then they're going to think of you when they think of that sector of the market, they're going to think of you when they think of commercial real estate or business brokering or, you know, whatever your business may be. Um, so I've been careful to, especially in the new relationships that I have, position myself more as like the investment advisor, right? Like I can help you grow your portfolio with small multifamily or grow your business with bite-sized commercial real estate. Um, of course I can do residential real estate, but I feel like I have enough re referrals coming in on that end. And, um, you know, I really want to focus on like what I'm passionate about. Yeah. What makes you so much more passionate about, uh, commercial lately versus residential and how has that evolution happened for you? I mean, it's obviously super fulfilling to help people like buy their next home or their first home even, right? Like they'll never forget your hand in, in that relationship and in that transaction. But it is a stressful experience no matter what. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's like hard. You know, buying a home can be simple and easy, but it's still a little stressful, right? And a lot more emotions tied in. A lot more emotions tied in and even if it's your best friend, especially if it's your best friend, it strains the relationship a little bit. And with a business, there's a little more excitement to it because like this is specifically growing their portfolio in a way that they know they want mm -hmm. to do it, right? Um, so the passion comes from, you know, knowing that I want to grow my wealth through real estate, 
first with multifamily real estate probably, but you know, a lot of the experienced investors that I've seen catapult their wealth started in multifamily and now like strictly focus on commercial strips, small retail plazas, things like that. Um, or they own their own businesses out of these spaces and, you know, have like a restaurant or a mixed use type of space. So um, it's just the fastest way to create income, right, is with mm -hmm. these with these uh, commercial businesses, right? That's uh, the bedrock of, of the American dream, right? Yeah. Like everyone needs a brick and mortar for their business if they're not like a e-coaching, info marketing or online business, still need a brick and mortar. And I think today people really value the human to human interaction. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the passion has really just come from developing a skill for seeing value in the market and helping other people make that a reality yeah make that a reality capitalize on that value what are some of the uh the most exciting things going on in the world of commercial real estate in orlando and central florida specifically right now so there's a new development in winter park called seven oaks park and it's right on the intersection of orange and denning okay. right by the foxtail not far from black bean deli cool and it's going to the the city's developing it'll be done by i think the middle of next year um, but it's going to be like an outdoor green space, similar to what we have on Park Avenue. Nice. But they're going to have like a drive-in movie theater, food trucks. It's going to be just another place, like outdoor park where people can come, you know, congregate and just enjoy like being in Winter Park. So That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. What are some of the big mindset shifts that you've had over the last year or so that have influenced the way that you do business? Instead of going from A to B to C to D to get to Z, I'm just trying to figure out how to get from A to Z. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, that was a big push behind getting into commercial real estate too, because I know, you know, these, even a small commercial real estate deal is like $800,000, $900,000. The average real, the average commercial real estate deal is about $900,000, which is about three times the size of the average residential transaction. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I do one or two of those a month while I do my residential stuff kind of in the background you know, I'll, I'll definitely be able to scale my wealth and build up my portfolio faster than if I just relied on residential real estate. And it's something I'm more passionate about doing. So the mindset of paying for information, you know, being okay with hiring a coach to accelerate my learning curve and um, just getting there faster. What's the biggest success that comes to mind when you think about paying for information and how that's been unlocked for you? What's the for you specifically, what's been the biggest success? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been with this new commercial real estate coach for 10 days and I booked two meetings wow. with uh, expired, uh, so we call it like expired listing data, right? So like if you were to list your business or list your house for sale and it didn't sell after so much time, depending on what your listing agreement says, it would expire, right? So once it becomes expired, we can skip trace that data, call that person, say, hey, you already raised your hand before to want to sell your property, what can I do to help you get that property sold? So within like 10, 10 days of being in this program, it's nothing new to me, right? Like you make a lot of calls in real estate no matter mm -hmm. what. So that's kind of what I expected, but, um, but your calls is, have a different target. It's now. a different, it's a different type of conversation because you know, you, you don't necessarily know what they're going to do with the money or why they're selling. And you don't want to have that conversation over the phone. You want to have that in person, mm -hmm. right? You want them to vent with you. You want them to kind of just just tell you what they're struggling with because that's that human-to-human -human interaction that, that we're going for. So 
the biggest success has really just been listening without like questioning it, right? Like I don't, I don't want to bring in any bad habits that I've learned in other positions or other, um, like, ex like if, if I learned how to do something a certain way in the residential market, I don't want to just take that to the commercial space because I think that's what works. Like I'm going to listen to someone who has experience in getting 24 listings in a year and just listen without, without questioning him. So, um, blind, a little bit of blind faith. I think that that's a really big and underrepresented quality of people who have a lot of success is the ability to detach from your ego a little bit and not stick to the things that have gotten you to a certain point, but be willing to be receptive about the things that could get you to the next point. Like if you've gotten from A to B to C to D on your own, doing a certain set of things, the person with ego is going to say, well, if I keep doing these things, maybe I'll get to E, F, G, and so on. But the person without ego could hear someone who's gotten to Z and say, interesting, you did this, this, and this. Maybe I should change things a little bit. I think that's where getting a coach really comes into play. 100%. So it's been a year since I talked about getting a coach. Have you looked into getting a coach or a mentor? I'm looking into it actively right now. I'm in a very new space myself with the, uh, well, you know what I'm in. I've it, Essentially, I would say I'm an exit planning advisor. So it's a very niche space, but I have a few kind of mentors already. My strategy early on, just to be able to kind of find opportunities in the space, was connecting with people that were already working in it. So over the course of the last few months, I've connected to probably upwards of 30, maybe going on 40 now, brokers and M&A advisors just all over the country and just gotten on calls with them whenever I can. So I've probably had maybe, I don't know, over the last couple months going on like 30 hours of conversation with them. Um, some I've followed up with and had more conversation with. And I've just learned so much about the space just from people who are already in it. So I wouldn't say I have a specific coach that I'm seeing regularly right now, but I have a number of brokers and advisors that I'm following up with and learning from because people in the space are very receptive to working together and collaborating together. I think that's the case in the in real estate as well from what I've observed. So people are very receptive to collaborating. So I just reach out and I say, hey, like what's working for you? What's going on? What types of businesses are you looking for? Where do you think there's opportunity for us to work together? Just try to listen to what they need in their space and what challenges that they're having because I am not a broker myself, at least not yet. I think it's in the future, but right now I'm an exit planning advisor. So I help businesses get to the point of being ready to work with a broker or advisor. And so I'm talking to brokers and advisors as, as you know, cause we've talked about this about what types of businesses are you seeing that need a little bit of help? And have you seen any recently that you think could use some help? That's, That's awesome. been massively influential. Yeah, so connecting with other people in the space, right? Like I exactly. mentioned earlier, you know, there's other, you know, business owners or really experienced real estate agents, commercial real estate agents in the space. So just networking with them and understanding what's working for them has helped me sharpen my advisory skills too. So I can totally relate to that. Do you see uh, maybe business brokering in in the future for you? Or I do, yeah. And if I was to talk about the way that I see it kind of playing out for me, I think I'll get some experience under my belt doing just the the before the brokering. So the, the actual exit planning, advising, getting them to the point of being ready to sell without doing the actual selling for a while and get my reps 
under my belt because I think that'll that'll inform me on what needs to exist in a business and really help me hone that so that when I do eventually become a broker, I know I'm, I'm able to look at businesses a little bit more clearly through that lens and mm-hmm. say, yeah, I think this is ready or no, I don't think this business is ready because you don't want to make the mistake as a broker or M&A advisor of picking the wrong businesses because it's not going to work out for either party. Right. You're not going to be able to find them a buyer. So I think working a little bit behind those people and seeing what's working for them, like what types of businesses they're looking for for now is what's working really well for me. And if you were to be, you know, when you become a business broker, would you still offer your exit planning uh, course or class? Yeah, as a absolutely. Part of that process? My plan is to build a company around that and maintain and hold on to that with maybe a couple other coaches that do what I'm doing now that I've trained. And I think once I'm at that point, that would be another kind of qualifying factor to let me know I'm ready to actually move on to that next step because I would want to have that actual framework and infrastructure below me built in to be able to bring someone in that isn't quite ready and move them through that to make a sale. Have you seen anyone else in the Orlando market or greater Orlando, Central Florida area do what you do in the exit planning coaching? Not in this area, really. Um, it makes me think of something, too, that I think is important because I had the the preconception as I first got into this that I thought that I needed to be only focused nationally and looking all over the place. But I think that you need to be doing both. I like to talk about thinking nationally, but acting locally. It sounds like you do a really good job of this in your business. You kind of think about what's working on a grand scale, but you act locally. So you connect to people locally, meet with people locally. I think that I think that's really important because I don't know of anyone doing it quite like I'm doing in this area. And it creates space to be able to do it but I do know of people doing it in other places. So I'm talking to them, learning from them, trying to help them with things to be able to kind of expand the way that I do things and the way that I operate so that I can bring that to the local area. That's awesome. Have you connected with anybody that does it in Florida? Kind of, yes and no. Um, Not specifically what I do, I would say. I haven't really connected with someone that has an exit planning program. Um, I've connected with a lot of brokers in Florida, but it's mostly just the actual transaction. I mean, what you do by nature is actually pretty rare in my opinion. You know, I've, I've deal with a lot of business brokers, as you know, and, um, you know, that was the people who have been in the business brokering space for 30 years have never heard of anything like this. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a nice little niche in the marketplace for you. And I have discovered that there's a lot of precedent for it on a, on a macro scale. There's the exit planning institute where you can learn to do this type of work and you can get a certified exit planning advisor certification which i'm looking at doing probably either next month or the month after it's a quick like five day certification Mm. um, and then you just take a test so there's there's ways to do this and to get into this work i think the reason you don't see it as much is because it's hard and it's it's not as easy. I mean, it's not as easy to make quick money. Right. So a lot of people don't really stay in the trenches longer than they have to. But I'd like to have the trench work exist the whole time so that I can bring people in and actually help them get to that point. Because otherwise, you're just not serving a whole portion of the market. There's a whole portion of the market that 
is really great at what they do for business, but not great at the exit planning. And it's a very select few that have both just intuitively. I think it's a much bigger portion that don't have both and kind of need that gap filled in, in education mostly. So for owner occupants of commercial spaces who love to be in the weeds, but don't necessarily know how to leverage or how to delegate is where you thrive. That's the underserved audience that, that you're targeting. And, I, and I've seen it seeing it more and more every day. Um, I have a, a buddy of mine whose dad wants to buy a, um, a, real, a piece of real estate for his mechanical business, right? It's, it's an auto shop. And by hiring a few mechanics, you know, this business will do like $80,000 a month in revenue, mm-hmm. right? And, but he still hasn't figured out a way to get him out of the business. He's gonna be the one training them. He's gonna be the one, you know, the main mechanic, but you know, I think by introducing him to someone like you, it could like expand his mind a little bit to see how he can still make, you know, six to $800,000 a year without sacrificing or investing as much time into the business so that maybe one day he can sell the business. Um, so that's a really cool niche that you've uncovered because Thanks. like you said, there's a lot of uh, underserved people who, who really don't know what it takes and it's probably not that much information, not that much that they need to do. Um, compared to what they're already doing, right? It's kind of exposure therapy at the end of the day. It's change is scary and hiring two mechanics when you've never hired two mechanics is scary because I, I see it the most with business owners who have bootstrapped their way to where they're at because they bootstrap their way because they're conservative and they, they don't like to take massive swings. And so they've gotten to from A to B, so to speak, by bootstrapping and taking those conservative measures to grow slowly and and in a low risk way but you have to take some bigger swings to make the b to c and beyond because you do have to try some things that might not work out you have to try hiring a couple mechanics and maybe the first time one of them won't work out and you'll learn the types of things that you need to be looking for when you're hiring them you'll learn oh if they have these qualities they might not be as reliable they might not work out long term or I might need to incentivize them in this, this, and this way to actually encourage them to stick around and and increase that enterprise value of the business. So I think it's just, the change is scary and a lot of times they're just limiting beliefs and sometimes they can be broken by just meeting someone who's had that success a little bit upstream from where you're currently at or just hearing about examples, case studies. So I like to do things like that to just maybe expose them to a way of doing business that they just haven't seen and haven't tried because of that. Right. And what you do is you're, you're literally adding value to these people's businesses by, like you said, exposing them to a new way of potentially running their business so that they can remove themselves, delegate, and add more value ultimately to someone who may want to buy this business and just keep it in their portfolio, right? Which exactly. is a really unique skill set that commercial real estate agents need to have too. When they mm-hmm. meet with someone who's in the trenches or maybe they meet someone who's a great operator but is understaffed or they meet someone who has a great laundromat business but they're still operating on 20 year old point of sale systems Mm -hmm. right like those are the little things that you see that if you were able to help them improve upon you could sell the business or sell the property for you know a a, a much higher number than they previously anticipated people make fortunes doing that type of thing and just coming in and taking maybe a minority equity position and adding an incredible amount of value to a business and, you know, taking a slice of a grape 
and growing it into a watermelon, so to speak. People make right. a massive fortune doing that. And it's, it's like because Shark Tank. <laughs> it literally is. That's exactly it. I mean, yeah. it, the biggest thing that happens in Shark Tank is they, they start working with them and they just make the introductions that they need. A lot of times it's just about introductions. And some some of the work that I do is about introductions. It could just be getting them to work with a particular brokerage or M&A firm. A client I'm working with right now has worked with, he's tried working with a couple small level brokers before to sell his business and it didn't work out. They didn't find a buyer for him. And he's most likely about to sign with a big M&A firm. It's the biggest seller side exclusive M&A firm uh, that's privately held in the world. And they make this kind of sale all the time. They had a laundry list of case studies to show us. And it's just being exposed to that different way of doing things that might unlock the eventual sale. Right. And so a lot of times it's just, it's just the unknown. Yeah. That's awesome. What's the biggest unlock that you're going after in your business right now? The biggest unlock? Yeah. So the next step. Yeah. The next step. So I just joined a new brokerage, Lux Properties. They have a commercial real estate division too. Congrats by the way. Lux Capital Advisors, which is great. Uh, They're huge in South Florida. Uh, my godbrother actually works for them in South Florida, and that's where I got the referral. And I'm helping launch their Orlando office. Uh, oh, that's exciting! Yeah, they only have like ten agents right now. Okay. And um, you know, I ironically made an offer on the branch manager's one of her listings like two or three weeks ago, um, not knowing nice. that I would you know be in this position where I want to join their team and stuff. So yeah, I recently joined, and I'm quickly realizing that like you know I can't do this by myself, right? Selling you know, the, the, the residential properties that I want to sell and also exploring the commercial real estate sector. Like it requires me to be in multiple places that, you know, not at once, but like I need to meet with a lot more people and I don't want to have an underserved community of residential, you know, property owners that want to do transactions with me that I'm not able to service because I don't have enough people around me to help them. So starting a team is definitely like in the near future. Um, just really want to build the infrastructure with the new brokerage at the new office. But we've already kind of talked about that because she knows I have big goals and I want to put the Orlando office on the map for the brokerage. Yeah. Um, they have a really big presence in South Florida. I think we're at like 308, uh, 308 real estate agents, which isn't like a crazy amount, but you know, it's still pretty intimate even having three. It's a lot agents. more than 10. It's a lot, it's a lot yeah. more than 10. Yeah. But that's brokerage wide. Right. And that that's, you know, Miami Dade okay. County, Broward County, um, going up to Brevard. And then now Orlando. Okay, very so, cool. Yeah. So there's support as close as Brevard too. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And um, they were one of two teams in South Florida that got offered to uh, spear the Zillow Flex program, which is. What is that? So Zillow Flex is like the highest quality leads, like real estate leads that Zillow, it, they have like a funnel, right? Like. Mm-hmm. They go down. They go down all the way through the funnel, and these guys are saying, "Hey, I want to sell my property. Mm. Who do you have?" And then Zillow says, "We have a trusted referral partner. We have a trusted broker partner that you can use to sell your property." And then they transfer them over the phone. One of us will answer the phone in Miami. It's like one of two teams, and Lux is one of those teams. Wow! So um, it's really hard to get that position. You know, yeah. you have to have a certain amount of experience, volume, transaction count agent count to be able to handle that amount of of lead flow. Uh, But I think they're receiving like over a thousand leads a month, um, specifically from this program. Zillow takes a cut on the back end, but it's a way for them to keep the customer service really high for the client. 
and for the agents to be incentivized to have you know lead flow and, and clients to represent. So uh, hopefully we'll bring that program to Orlando in the next few months. But for now, we have like the base Zillow program where you know we're still meeting with buyers and sellers who want to do transactions, but they're more top of funnel. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting whenever I see something like that in business where it's it's a complete grind to get to a certain point, and then you get to that point, and it just gets easier because of the things that you unlock. Like. It's it's gotta have been so, if you went back and looked at the work that it took for them to get that Zillow flex, like the work that went into getting to the point to qualify for it was probably hard. But then now that they got it, it makes everything easier. Right. It's D- different set of challenges, but yeah, it's a, probably a lot different easier today than you know bootstrapping yourself to you know two hundred units a year or whatever that number would would have been. But um, yeah, very exciting for the brokerage for sure. Why do you think that? So many entrepreneurs struggle to get past that those initial stages of bootstrapping. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels good to know that you can do it all, right? And putting that extra responsibility on your plate and, and just doing it yourself. But um, it's really hard to scale that model, right? I think people, especially entrepreneurs, are scared to let someone else do it because they can't do it as well as, you know, they can. But... Um, you know, once you get past that limiting belief and that you invest in other people to do these things for you, it's, it's really empowering. So um, I just think it's hard for people to imagine someone else servicing their clients as good as they can. Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs end up making themselves super employees because they come from a place of just not wanting to have a boss and they because they feel like they're not going to be able to have the kind of success that they want to have as someone else's employee. So they quit just because of that, but then they don't realize that if they just become a super employee, they don't actually build anything under them. They don't build any real value for their business. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it time and time again. You know, you gotta have employees to help you scale what what business you're, you're creating. You know, you can't do it all yourself. And that's really where the magic happens too. You know, you invest in other people and they're happy to work for you and create the culture that you dreamed about having in your in your business you get to design that you get to call the shots like that's what being a ceo is you know and i'm sure that'll happen for me soon when i start this team here at lux but um not necessarily in a big rush i just feel like it's going to happen naturally because i'm already in a position where i could like ask other agents to show clients for me so that i could stay in the office doing consultations or you know continue meeting with uh, off-market property owners so that i can help them sell their the commercial or residential piece of real estate. But you might end up finding one that ends up being your go-to because they just do that great of a job. And then you could say, well, hey, do you want to come help me with what I'm doing and maybe build into commercial eventually and start by running my residential? 100%. Yeah, the goal would be to you know offload most of the residential stuff to someone who can handle it, someone who's experienced. You know, young, experienced, young, and willing to you know, not have as much of a work-life balance in the beginning so that mm-hmm. they could service the amount of clients that I think we all want to see the Orlando office do um, while I really focus on commercial. But, you know, commercial real estate, I'd say a third of the listings that get put on the MLS actually sell. A lot, I think 50% of commercial real estate listings sell off-market, probably more, wow. more than 50% okay. actually. Um, so It is kind of a behind-the-curtain thing. It is a behind-the-curtain thing, exactly. It seems that way because it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have a really good business opportunity or really good income-producing property, I'm going to share this with at least my network of people before I put it on the MLS, mm-hmm. right? So 
And if you have a number of wins in the space already, you probably have a quite the network paying attention to what you're doing. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as sending out an email blast with the right information and maybe not too much information, but enough to get someone on a call and have them sign an NDA. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like what you're doing with the newsletter. Yeah, exactly. So the newsletter has definitely helped with that. But that's just more like surface level information. I was thinking about this the other day before going to bed. It was like, I'm in residential coaching people how to get into multifamily when instead I could be like in commercial, just helping people scale their already flourishing portfolios, right? I'm doing a little bit of both because I genuinely enjoy like that light bulb moment that goes off in people's heads when they see, wow, like I didn't know I could buy a four unit property for three and a half percent down. That's crazy. Not many people are willing to do that, right? After a a certain point in their lives, like if you have a girlfriend, if you have, um, you know, kids, if you're married, if you have a job that requires you to travel a lot, maybe being a landlord isn't right for you. But for those who can take on that responsibility, you only have to really do it once for it to work and for it to give you the cash flow in your portfolio to build the momentum to buy more and more and more. And then after that, it's a matter of, you know, do you have 25% down to, you know, continue scaling your wealth? Mm -hmm. But um, what about, what's your opinion on getting property management working for you. Does that usually work out for people if they try to acquire a property and put it under property management? 100%. So it goes back to leverage, right? Like you can't always be managing your property, especially if you have a big portfolio. Like I know this one guy, he has 75 units. He's self-managed. He's constantly working on his portfolio. I can imagine. And he owns a hotel. He owns like uh, short-term rental property. He owns a lot of fourplexes. He owns some stuff near UCF. And I'm just like, dude, like you're always working on your portfolio. He saves, you know, probably like 60 to 80 grand a year managing his own portfolio. And I actually asked him one time, I was like, you know, what would it take for you to hire a property manager? Because I feel like you would get so much of your your life back, so much of your time back. But I also understand that this is like the only thing that you do. So where do you draw the line? And he's like, you know, I'd really have to find like a really good – want a really good property manager who only tends to his portfolio. Because Mm. if you go with a lot of these big box property management companies, they just want to sign you on and they're going to manage your portfolio just like they manage everything else, which might not be the level of attention to detail that you would want to give because each particular property has different needs and you don't always want to, you know, go top of the line with, with what you replace in, in the property. You don't always want to go bottom of the barrel, right? Mm-hmm. It, it takes a specific approach for each property to manage it effectively. Um, so And they just kind of copy and paste for everyone. They copy property. and paste for everyone. So that, that would have been um, the challenge with him going with a big box. So I think for most people, property management is a good thing because it allows you to keep working your nine to five keep your main thing, your main thing, and not have to worry about tenants, toilets, or, you know, late payments or anything like that. Um, But for the aspiring real estate investor who wants to get a 10 or 20 unit portfolio, I think it's a valuable skill to have, at least for a little bit. Um, And then, you know, you almost have to eventually you'll want a property manager, but you want to build that skill set. So you know how to regulate your property manager and Mm -hmm. when you want to hear from them when you don't want to hear from them. Um, you know, you really shouldn't be hearing from them much unless it's like a serious issue, but I think it's a valuable skill to have. And until you get to a certain point, you should be able to self-manage. You almost have to probably build a property management company under your set of 
properties to specifically service your set of properties. Yep. If yep. you want to do it the right way. Yeah. Interesting. And then that's where 1031 comes into play too, right? Like if you have three duplexes, right? And you're managing three different properties, you're paying a property manager, you have three different sets of bills, you could just trade those duplexes into one 10 unit property, right? And that way you have one set of bills and it's easier for your property manager to manage that property. You don't really want to be your own property manager once you have like, you know, a, a larger size property just because it's going to take more time. There's more tenants to deal with, more people to manage. Um, and especially if you have a larger property like that, you should have enough cash flow where you can afford a property manager. Mm -hmm. So that way you can keep working, scaling and, you know, looking at other deals. What are the biggest things people are unaware, the biggest incentives people are unaware of to get into real estate investing? The biggest incentives that people are unaware of, I mean, the tax benefits are huge. Um, cost segregation, cost segregation is a big one where you can- What do you mean by that? Cost segregation is a way to accelerate the depreciation on the, on the useful life of the property. I think for multifamily properties, it's like 27 years or 39 years. I have someone who specifically does it, but it also works for short-term rentals. So I actually had a recent client of mine. Um, she bought a short-term rental and I introduced her to my buddy, Sean, who did a cost segregation study for her. It cost her about $3,000 out of pocket, most of which is tax deductible. And they did a cost segregation study on it and she got a $40,000 reduction in her tax liability wow. with this study based on what she had already spent on furnishing the Airbnb. Um, you know, how much time she invested and it segregates the costs associated with like furniture, different expenses, property management, and you get like a tax credit back. Um, so the ROI on her $3,000 investment was, you know, almost 20 to one yeah. um, after you factor in the tax deduction. So um, it's definitely something that goes unnoticed if you don't know about it. Um, and it works best for people who own multifamily real estate or short-term rentals. I want to talk about multifamily for a second because I know this is very much more residential, which is becoming a little bit less of what you do, but I know that you've, you've got a lot of kind of reps under your belt with it. Beginning with, you know, making your first purchase as a homeowner, as a multifamily property, what is the benefit of that? And why do you think people don't choose to do that? By the time people purchase their first home, they usually end up being in a position where like they have a partner, they have more responsibilities and buying a duplex or, you know, just a duplex might not be super appealing for like your partner, right? They're, you know, you're, you're really close to the tenant that you're, that you're landlording and there could be some risk associated with, you know, where the property is located because frankly, two to four unit properties are not in like your suburban areas most of the time. They're usually in like middle income type of neighborhoods. Um, that's just how they were built. Um, so I think a lot of people miss the boat per se because um, they could have taken that risk earlier on, on in their life, but they just didn't know about the advantages. Um, on the flip side, the, the positive element to buying like a duplex as your first property is the ability to secure cash flow, right? Like if you could buy two units for the price of one with minimal money down, why wouldn't you move into one side, rent out the other, let that other tenant pay for at least what, 40%, 50% of your mortgage, even with today's rates, 
so that you're mitigating your living expenses. And by the time you move out, the property will have appreciated, the rents will have gone up enough for it where you could cash flow the property without refinancing. If rates come back down by the time you move out, then you know you could secure some cash flow. But by the time you move out, if they're paying at least 40 to 45% of your mortgage, you should be able to cash flow that property you know, in a year. Do you ever see anyone buy a multifamily property and then just put tenants in all of it and then rent themselves and have success? I mean, if you have 25% down, absolutely. I think most of my clientele now, um, they're a little older. I'm just meeting more like experienced investors, more sophisticated investors, and they're happy to put 25% down. And it's more straightforward of a conversation, right? Because you don't have to factor their lifestyle into moving into this property. Mm-hmm. Um, they can still live in their cushy little house and you know have the lifestyle that they want. And it's it's literally just a, a math equation at that point. Yeah. So, um, that that makes things easier, but not everyone has 25% down. And you kind of have to have the 25% down to make the math work out. You have to have to 25% still... down to have uh, to qualify for the loan. Well, what about what if it's your first time purchase? Do you ever see someone do a first time purchase of one of those and then put tenants in both? So you can. So or as, do you have to be occupied? You have to be a... occupying the space gotcha. for at least a year. Okay, that's okay. what the requirements say. If you move out in six months because you bought another house or you have a really good reason you can explain it to the lender and they'll you know they'll be fine with it but um to get a low down payment option for a multifamily property you have to live in it interesting okay that makes sense yeah it's probably just to keep people from doing that yeah because exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just too good to be true yeah what well, are you the... have a roommate right like if you yeah. bought a duplex that has two bedrooms in each unit you could live in one get a roommate right have him pay 850 and then rent the other unit out for 1500. Your mortgage on that might be 3500, $3800, but most of your mortgage would be taken care of if you had a roommate and rented out the other unit. Yeah. With where rent prices are right now, it just kind of works out that way. Yep. What are the other big mindset shifts that you've had in the last few months? Mindset shifts in the last few months. One day I'm going to be a father. I'm going to have a family and you know, like it's crazy to think about that, but it's the coolest thing in the world, like to create a human and instill the values and the and the things that you hold close to your heart um, into a little human that looks like you, talks like you, that sort of thing. Uh, definitely not like coming super soon or anything, but just something know, that's a blip on the inti- radar. At yeah, least. having those intimate conversations and knowing that that's something that like me and my partner both want. Um, really, just like makes me want to accelerate everything in my business even more right yeah because when i do have that little boy or girl like i want to be able to give them everything that i have um including a lot of time and good memories uh because you know that that's what life is all about right so um still want to have an amazing big business and you know big portfolio and i'm never gonna not be working right but having the ability to disconnect and gracefully transition to life at home without having to worry about my phone and you know fully engage in, in family life like that's a big mindset shift that I've started to adopt because um, right now I have a lot of time yeah you know, we have more time now than we're ever gonna exactly have. so in, we trade the extra time now to build in for not having to use it later exactly so in you know three to five years it's gonna be a whole different conversation but um, I'm already starting to factor that mindset in now. So that way when it comes, it's not that big of a, 
a shock, you know? Yeah, I. Uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this week, actually. I met essentially the future version of myself if I take a certain path. I was at this uh, this big mergers and acquisitions firm, and I talked to this guy that's a senior director there. And I ended up finding out that he, for about 13 years, did the type of work that I do now. He had sold basically a videography business a while back and then came out of that to do the type of work that I'm doing right now, exit planning, helping business owners kind of turn their business around and sell it and flip it and sell it. And so after doing that for about 13 years, his wife ended up getting pregnant. They had a kid on the way, so he decided to kind of take a step back, move out of the, the trenches, so to speak, and just become like a, a broker essentially or an investment banker. And so he decided to go work at a firm. And now he's got more time, does more of the thing that he loves, and has just kind of set himself up that way. I think it's so important to think about that kind of thing because if you can think about that and plan for that, you can start structuring your plan to allow for that later. Right. Not everyone wants the same thing, but there is a common theme that people take on more responsibility earlier on in the careers. And once they have families, you know, they, they need to be home more. They need to spend more time with their family or at least, you know, set themselves up in a way where they can invest in their in their kids. Because at the end of the day, like the, your good families create good communities. And I think that's what everyone wants at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think you have to really take on that responsibility and grow your leverage as a person. If you think about yourself as an asset you've got to grow the value of the asset so that it has enough leverage to be able to make the effect that you need to have in less time. Right. So if you're giving more time to your family and to your kids, that means that the time that you are working has to be that much more effective and has to be that much more fruitful. 100%. Otherwise, you should be at home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. What about uh, just looking forward? Where do, you, where do you see your business and your practice in five years? In five years? You know, I've talked about starting my own brokerage, but I also realize I have so much more to learn. And the spirit behind going to this new brokerage is the amount of support, right? Like, not only am I like getting paid a little bit more, but there is a commercial real estate division. There is a residential real estate division. And they actually own a mortgage broker uh, company under the same brand. Nice. Most real estate brokerages do not allow for dual compensation allow for their agents to do real estate and mortgage on the same file because of the added liability, right? You have liabilities as a real estate person and then you have liabilities as a mortgage person. And then if you do both, you have like a lot more double liabilities, liabilities, double yeah. liabilities right? But you also have double the amount of value that you can provide to the mm -hmm. client. But it's very rare for a real estate brokerage to allow their agents to do both. And this company actually allows that. In fact, they own a mortgage broker. They're, they're broker owners and they're also real estate broker owners so um in five years will i still be with this company who knows um i could have like a team within this company and be very happy doing so because the broker is very supportive and you know she knows i want to hit the ground running and get to speed as fast as possible five years feels like a long time even though it really isn't um but you know i want to be able to disconnect physically from my business and work from my laptop, right? If I have commercial real estate listings and, you know, a flourishing mortgage side of my business and I have agents showing properties and negotiating on my behalf, then I could see myself, you know, working from pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, definitely want to have like a life in Europe, want to be able to buy a couple Airbnbs and 
you know, spend a few months out of the year in Europe. My, I know my girlfriend, she'll be my wife at the time. Um, definitely wants like to live there like pretty much half of the time. Um, because the cultural values are just so rich over there, you know, like, yeah. people are not on their phones. They're not worried about the things that we as Americans pride ourselves on. Um, definitely weighs on you over the course of your lifetime right and that's why we as americans go vacation a lot of it's not sustainable a lot of it's not sustainable this is where you come to create opportunities and build an amazing foundation but you know we me and my partner when i say we definitely want to uh instill the values that we see around the world in our children and in our family um so in five years i'll probably be a father um it's crazy to even say that but (laughs) yeah it's Um, we're getting older yeah but uh (laughs) But yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a father, I'll be a team leader, I'll be, you know, just a leader in general, I'll lead my community, my family, myself, and, um, you know, it'll be it'll be a beautiful life to have assets all over the world and to be able to share my my word and my testimony, my experience um, on stage somewhere probably. Um, if, if I had to come up with something to offer everyone in the world, it would probably be a way to you know, invest in, in real estate with, and then there, there's other people who, who have similar programs, but like, you know, how to invest in multifamily real estate with none of your own money. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there are ways to do it. I met this kid who he's pulling together money now to do multifamily fix and flips. I think it's the coolest thing in the world, hmm. right? If you buy a distressed duplex, you fix it up, put tenants in there and then sell it for a cap rate for a certain cap rate. Yeah. You can make a pretty, pretty, pretty penny. Because at um, that point, you're literally selling a cash, like a proven a cash commodity. flowing right. asset. Yeah, hundred percent. And you can do that with properties of any scale, right? Yeah. So, um, selling some type of recipe like that would be really cool, or just promoting. I don't want to say selling, but you know, showing people that it's possible if you just have the right knowledge and you apply yourself. You know, your life can look completely different in. 12 months if you just stay consistent and do what you know the program offers or yeah (laughs) (laughs) you uh you mentioned a second ago being a leader and how that's important to you you see that in your future becoming more and more of a leader what to you and your experience so far goes into being a good leader and what are the qualities that you've observed from the greatest leaders in your life that have influenced you so the greatest the greatest leaders that i've seen all are very structured with their time. And in my personal experience, I've seen that to be an effective leader, you can't get comfortable, right? Like you can get comfortable when you're by yourself and you want to relax. But if you want to have a positive impact on everyone around you, like you have to act like it's the first time that you're meeting that person and maybe the last time that you're meeting that person and that you're leaving that person or those people better than you found them. Um, Being an effective leader is empowering other people, you know, not making them feel small or like their opinion was incorrect or it didn't matter, right? And the opposite, right? Like you want to build other people up, let them know, validate that their opinions, even if you don't agree with it, are valid and build a conversation around that. Um, because, you know, le- leadership is so important, man. Like that that's what I think America is kind of like slacking right now, you know, strong men, people who know how to lead their families and you know, take responsibility. There's a lot of people out here who want like the easy way out. And, you know, I chose entrepreneurship just like you, maybe for different reasons, but because 
you know, there's there's no cap on our potential, right? Like we can go as high as we want as long as we apply the information that we've been given, develop the skills, and stay consistent, right? But without leadership, like everything crumbles. You have no accountability. You have no morals, right? People aren't going to respect you if you're not a good leader. So I think if you know how to lead yourself, if you apply the, the amount of structure that you need, um, in your in your work, your family's going to respect you for working longer hours because they know that you're putting food on the table. You're you're building that portfolio for them. You're buying that Airbnb in Portugal. Um, you know they know that the goals are really important to you, and they're going to support you in in working more so that you know one day they can have everything that they want. It's Portugal where yours is going to be. Yeah, man. Nice. I've, I um, I've been to Portugal twice, and when I went the first time. Um, it was like for a layover and we were there for like 12 hours or whatever. It was beautiful. And then the second time I went, it was part of a like 13 day Euro trip with the boys. Nice. Right. So, and I'm looking forward to meeting up with the boys and I just kind of like skipped over how much time I'd be spending in Portugal. And I was there for actually a, a wedding and bro, I went for like three days, four days and it was hot as shit. But it was beautiful, bro. And the and the wedding reception was in Sintra, Portugal. Sintra, Portugal, which they have like palaces built for the royal family. Oh wow! So we're literally in like two three hundred year old palaces, right? The princess of Belgium was there a week before me. She literally autographed her signature in the in a book. Wow! Uh, like she was on the guest list or something. And I'm like, holy cow! Like, where yeah. am I right now? So uh, ever since then. You know, I, I learned that it's the oldest country in Europe. It's the has the lowest cost of living in Europe. I'm not sure if that's still true. I went in like 2017. Um, but it, it's beautiful. You know, they have good surf. They have good food. They have good seafood. And um, it's just culturally rich. And ironically, that's actually where my girlfriend's from, too. So, oh, nice. Yeah. I've heard people get back from Portugal and remark on just how amazing the people are there, too. Yep. Just like the the values the cultural values that you mentioned of just being a little bit more laid back and culturally rich enjoying life a little bit more are very strong there from what i've heard that i've seen in in spain in italy in anywhere that's not like flooded with tourism you see the real people that live there and they're just like enjoying life you know they take two hour lunch breaks three hour lunch breaks whatever they have a siesta in the afternoon like they just move on a different type of time and i and like right now i don't know if i could spend like too much time over there yeah. just because I'm so, you know, embedded in, in my business and I love what I do. But like when I really want to disconnect, like there's nothing better than, than, uh, Western Europe. Yeah. I think I, I think I would be similar. I don't think I could actually disconnect in that way right now, but yeah. I think if I had a business built that was operating and running and I knew that things were still happening because of what I'd built, even if I took a two hour lunch break, maybe I would be able to relax enough to do it. But the cool th something that I think you would appreciate though, even where you're at right now, if, if I picked you up and dropped you off in Portugal right now, the coolest thing about it for me at least would be the adventure, mm -hmm. right? Like you're solving problems along the way, you're converting dollars to euros, you're yeah. speaking, you know, you're trying to like figure out where you need to go. The phone makes it a lot easier, of course, but like riding the train system, you know, oh, it's yeah. super cheap, it's affordable. You could travel to so many different countries and be in a completely different place right with different cultural values different social cues and expectations europe is so crazy like that it, it's so dope and like you have to be your best self in order to solve those problems and be quick on your feet and like 
be safe and still have a good time right so like yeah the adventure aspect of it i think is very entrepreneurial mm-hmm. um so that that's definitely like one of my favorite parts it's like an active vacation right you're not just like sitting on a beach somewhere. yeah you're actually like exploring the town and connecting with the people um but but yeah i mean whenever i do go again which i'm hoping to do within the next like six months um i want to be able to like sit at a coffee shop for a couple hours and just yeah. chill you know and like go to the coliseum and see the people and rent a vespa and you know do the do things the that the, the locals do yeah you said you've been to Italy too. Yeah, I'm going in November. I'm nice. so excited. First time. I'll be there for about a week. 100% rent a Vespa. Yeah, it's super I might have cheap, to try man. that. It's like yeah. it's like 80 bucks for like 24 hours. You don't it's have not and bad. like they let you have it overnight. <laughs> Double seater. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I might have to try that. I'm going with my girlfriend in November just for, over Thanksgiving weekend actually because worked out well with her PTO. So we'll nice. be there from like a Saturday to a Saturday. We're doing Venice and Rome. Okay be very exciting yeah man that's beautiful so you mentioned uh back there a little bit you were talking about how there's not enough leaders right now why do you think that is this can go political real quick right (laughs) um why do i think there's not enough leaders because i think people i'm used to like being an entrepreneur i'm used to having things like a little bit harder than most people, but like I'd rather have it that way because then it's mine. I feel like I earned it, no one can take it away from me, right? I built a brand and now people send me referrals for real estate. Like no one no one can take that away from me. If I were to go work as an analyst for a commercial real estate firm, right? Like they could just say that they're laying off people and if I had a victim mindset, I could, I could feel like I was dealt a bad hand or that I got unlucky, right? With the mindset that I have now, I feel like I would just be like, damn, I wasn't a good enough analyst, right? Maybe I should be doing something else. Mm-hmm. But I feel like too many people feel entitled and feel like they should be taken care of when that's not really how this country was built. And that's not how capitalism rewards its, its entrepreneurs. Like this country was built on entrepreneurs people solving problems for their community through the form of capitalism so like i think i think that's as simple as i can explain it like if you're on the receiving end of capitalism no wonder you're upset right like if you can reposition yourself from a consumer to a you know someone who creates value in the marketplace i think it'll expand your mind and like help you understand where the best seat at the table really is. Mm-hmm. Because if you're constantly on the consumer side of things, you're never going to be happy here, right? And that's where my girlfriend just tell you, like, you can move somewhere else, right? Like, yeah. maybe, maybe you'd really like it in Portugal, <laughs> right? But if uh, you really want to live your life on your own terms and feel like, you know, things are, are fair, then create value in the marketplace because that's how this country rewards you. Yeah. yeah. If you do decide to take that path, it's so much harder because you have to take the responsibility. You have to have the discipline. You don't have to really have all those things or do all those things if you don't choose that path, but there's so much re- more reward in actually doing it. And you're building value for your actual life. You're building value that lasts and that, like you said, can't be taken away from you. Why do you think more people don't realize that or or take that path 
I think there's a generational trend too, like, you know, Zoomers, Gen Z, they just operate differently, right? Like they grew up with a phone in their face the whole time. Not saying millennials didn't, but like we saw the dot-com era. We saw phones get smaller and better and more efficient. And we remember what things used to be like, right? Where everything was human to human, right? Like I couldn't imagine selling real estate 20 years ago where you had to go pick up the key at the office, print out the directions, drive there with no GPS. Like, it blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm advising. I don't know how it works. I'm advising, like, <laughs> someone who lives in New Jersey with a satellite view of the property. I have a dope spreadsheet that I can use. I can share my screen with them, show them how I'm looking at the property, make an offer on it like that without ever showing mm -hmm. it. Right? And... It, it, it just blows my mind. Um, your original question was... Why do you think more people don't take the path of entrepreneurship? Like I said, there's a generational trend. There's certainly... You know, the risk The risk is greater for those who haven't been through any, any like, real... Times of, like, testing times in their life, right? And I feel like if... Things have always been easy. Thing you've always been able to get what you want pretty quickly with with your phone. You've been able to order Uber Eats since you were a little kid. You've been able to get things relatively quickly without a high barrier to entry. It lowers your ability to like overcome obstacles, right? So when they see entrepreneurship, it's like this big scary thing, and I feel like they don't know where to start. I don't know because I'm not that person, but that's my perspective. Like they could just be very scared of the idea when it's really not that. Like how many lemonade stands do you see anymore? None. Right? Like I actually saw one in Winter Park recently, which is why I love freaking Winter Park. It's amazing. Um, but like they're they're very rare these days, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the simple things like that. Because you can probably just get lemonade by Uber Eats yeah. anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, well. What customers am I going to have? Yeah, but, it's, it's definitely the perceived yeah. barrier to entry, even though it's really not that high. Like, you could have a side hustle. It's never been easier to start an info marketing business or coaching mm -hmm. business or, you know, like really what you did. Business. Like, I love what you did. You know, you took what you learned in your, your last two business ventures and you created a phenomenal, profitable business model that creates value for people who need it. That's Thanks. amazing, you know? It wasn't easy, first of all, but I, I, I didn't say it was I, easy. Did yeah, I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was saying because you're right. You said it's it seems like higher barriers to entry. It's not easy. But the, the biggest advice I give to people, and this is the only reason I was able to create any kind of business coming out of my last venture, is lean into those strengths that you've developed. Everyone's better at something than the average person. And there's some way that you can take that skill that you're better at and a need in the market and bring the two of them together. I thought about opening, like uh, starting a coaching business for like newer agents, like, you know, cause I hired a, a commercial real estate agent to do the same for me. So I'm mm -hmm. like, damn, I'm sure I could do this for like a rookie agent who needs to know how to like represent their clients in a litigious situation without mm -hmm pushing the envelope too much, but also like getting the sale and helping yeah. their clients out in a competitive environment, right? Like it's a lot of moving pieces for newer agents to, to stomach if they don't have a good leadership, they don't have good leadership at their office. And uh, so I've definitely thought about doing something like that. 
maybe you could coach them into becoming your residential arm. Yeah. That could be something. It could be like a coaching program, and then if you do really well, you earn a spot on the team. That's – if I think about how my business could play out, that's kind of my ideal scenario, I think, is someone who I have helped exit their business becoming an advisor on my team, helping other people do the same. Because mm-hmm. you you kind of have to have gone through the experience to be able to speak on it the right way and what's behind it, what it takes, like what has to go into it. I already see myself like interviewing people who want, who want to join the Orlando office, right? Maybe like in a month or two months, right? Like, why do you want to join the Orlando office? What's your experience? How much, how many units have you done? Right. And like the amount of sales that someone has done in this business will tell you a lot about them, right? It'll tell you what market they were performing in, how many units they did, how many transactions, how many reps they've done, right? In high emotional, high stress type of, of scenarios. This is not timeshare, right? Like, these sales take 15, 30, 45 days to close after you've developed a relationship with these people. But actually coaching someone for six months and seeing them face those battles in real time, right? There's nothing like it. That That's what being a team is all about. And um, my first few years in the business at Keller Williams, like we would hit the phones every day together, right? The energy was awesome. And I miss that. Like the last few years was very marketing heavy. So I did most of my phone outbound dialing kind of myself. Um, with my mortgage company now, like it's a very, very much a sales environment. Um, and that's why like, I, I love working out of that office. Um, and I'm really looking forward to now at Lux working at, at the office because I would definitely want to create that culture there. But um, that coaching program could definitely be the way to like instill those values at the office because you don't need to reinvent the wheel, man. Like real estate, most businesses is a matter of talking with people and hearing what challenges they're facing and offering creative solutions, right? Like that's the only reason I got my license to originate loans was to offer more creative solutions, was to streamline communication and to enhance the, the visibility that I have in my files, right? Instead of relying on someone else to hopefully do as good of a job that I know I can. It is more work, yeah. right? But like I said, but if you have a deal that you're hoping to take on or someone you're hoping to help and it's contingent upon being able to provide that service and that's contingent upon you being able to find someone that is up to your level of speed and service level, it just it reduces what you're able to do. Especially if I have agents working under me, right? Like not only could I coach them through the negotiations and through the tricky scenarios that they'll face, but also doing so without really asking for a referral as long as, hey, maybe let me do the loan and I'll coach you through the real estate side of things. Mm -hmm. And you can keep everything. Think you got something there. Yeah. Cooking with fire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anything else that that comes to mind that you think is a really important thing to be considering as an entrepreneur in 2023? I'm very curious to see how I'm able to maybe in a year from now hop on this podcast again and see where my business is at, how well I can compartmentalize the different activities in my business, how the structure will look a year from now because definitely want to sell commercial real estate because it's just so cool dealing with business. Like the value that you can provide to a business owner and the value that they can provide to you is exponential compared to, oh, yeah. you know, like a first time buyer or a homeowner, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the coolest thing in the world. 
But first-time homebuyer, like you can provide so much more value to a first-time homebuyer than you could to someone who has a lot of experience and feels like they don't need a realtor, right? So it's low-hanging fruit. And I feel like I have a lot, a lot to give from a like mentor perspective, right? So very curious to see how, how I'm able to compartmentalize these things. And I think it's, it's a matter of leverage, right? Like if I have someone helping me run the residential team, a property management division to manage all the assets that I help these commercial real estate owners acquire, you know, multifamily properties that I help millennial investors acquire to build up their cash flow. They're going to need someone in management. And instead of referring that out, hoping that they do a good job, I can have someone offer a curated service, right? So there's a lot that I want to do and business that I want to keep in house. I'm just really curious how I'm going to, uh, you know, structure, structure it all. Yeah. yeah structure yeah. it all. It's, that's the whole thing. Moving forward as an entrepreneur is taking all the million ideas that you have and figuring out which ones make the most sense to go forward in and to, to take you to the next step. Yeah. Because there there's a million directions you can walk every single day, but you've got to pick one or two or three to take every single day and hope that those are the right ones. Right. And no one's going to give you the answer. Yep. It's kind of crazy. It's <laughs> it's a game of uncertainty. Yeah. No, I mean, commercial real estate will definitely be like my main thing, but I know that there's a lot of opportunity here in the residential sector that won't take too much time away from me if I can operate 80% over the phone. And yeah. I can have most most of the other agents, you know, showing properties and, and going on appointments and stuff for me on that side. I can focus on bigger deals. So I love it. Any parting thoughts? Any parting thoughts? I hope to do some business with you soon. Man. Likewise. I feel like, feel like there's uh, some good opportunities out in front of us. I actually sent a referral to Jesse recently. Awesome. Um, they already kind of had clean books and stuff, and they're selling the business, not the property. So that was like the first time that I was able to send him something. Um, but I know the more and more that I stay in this commercial sector of the market that you and I are going to have opportunities to work together. Absolutely. So. We've got some fire to cook with. Yeah, 100%, man. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. This has been enlightening. Sounds good. Thank you again Very for cool. having me. We'll awesome. do it again in a year. Yes, sir. And that's a podcast. <laughs> yes, sir.